how are you? I'm good. What are you doing this time? Funny enough, I am using ChatGPT. Yeah, I, I don't see what's wrong with it. I feel like that's going to be the future, right? You have to accept the fact that like probably like, I, I don't know how good is it now, maybe a 60, 70%, if that gets it like halfway there, or even the bones, even at 40%, I think it's fantastic. If like your work and then you just tweak it, I still think that's like huge productivity gains, right? It is. It's actually, it. yeah, it's actually, because I think for me, when it comes to like a lot of writing these things, like the hardest part is to get started, but then if you give yeah. it, but then that's, I think that's sort of the benefit of if it is, it's like, if you give yeah. it, uh, like a prompt so it creates like an outline for you right and then you can yeah. edit and extrapolate uh from that outline uh i mean we, we can say this part of the conversation for the, the podcast but yeah, i actually sure. i find it very i find it very useful it's, it's super it's, it's really useful okay. actually that's cool i was using any word uh before but i feel like this is as good as any word if not better um so yeah yeah I, great i have i love i love chat gpt it's amazing <laughs> yeah no i'm gonna yeah, i need to research more of that i think because we, we did a whole ai episode but then like right after that episode like the next like breakthrough was chat gpt3 well i mean i guess if you're following it, it's not as much a surprise but still a breakthrough and then yeah like, well, chat gpt like... gpt chat gpt is just built on gpt3 it's just the, yeah, the interface it's is different right. it's the same yeah. Like the actual machine learning I, models and the reinforcement I, is the same. It doesn't change. I think actually. the training was better. So you're getting better results. All right. Like this, this is kind of narrow, brittle AI, but still it's very like shocking of what it can do because they trained it in the right way. But I mean, yeah, I think we should, we could, we could talk about that later. Oh, really? Because my understanding of it was the training was the same. It's just purely an interface issue. Oh, is it? Like you don't oh, need to, you don't need to um, know any I, like I'm, code. You can, you can use plain text language to interact with it. Yeah, we could talk. I'm, I'm not too sure. We can talk about that though. Yeah, um, actually, that's, that's a, it's a, it's a good question. Let me find out because I chat GPT. Yeah, my, mine is GPT. just through like piecing together headlines, some blurbs I read, and knowing what I know from talking to people. So I'm, I might be wrong. Um, so I didn't really research it very specifically. I have more of a general. AI blurb for that session. Oh, okay. So this is where it gets a bit wonky. So apparently chat GPT was fine-tuned on top of GPT 3.5, which, so GPT, so what I think what they're talking about is GPT 3.5, which uses reinforced learning models as well as supervised okay. learning. Whereas I think straight up GPT 3 may or may not have had that. Yeah, I don't I forget what, that, I forget the nuance. What is, let me check. Yeah, I also don't know the nuance behind it well enough. I understand supervised. That's like tweaking the algorithm to because you have you have an expected outcome already. Uh, so then reinforcement is machine learning training method based on rewarding desired behavior and punishment. Okay, interesting. So it's just tweaking the nodes probably. Hmm. Okay, yeah, you kind of need both, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure Andrew will have a very specific uh, understanding and take on that. What? Much uh, deeper some, into like those areas. Uh, what's, on, what's on the agenda for the day? Oh, Jangan, you made hey, it to the chat. My name is Scott Caster, G98H. Yeah, you didn't fill in. Whatever, it's fine. Um, mm. I, I think probably if I'm going to guess, Andrew's flaking, so we can just start. Yeah. Hello, yeah. Barbarians, and welcome to the 24th episode of the LLB podcast, the final podcast of the year 2022. Today, we have us 
uh, back in KL. The man of the high ground, Dave Chang, looking uh, handsome with his haircut. Yeah, back. How does, how does it feel to be back? Uh, it's great. I was, uh, well, I was talking to Alex about this, John Gun, but you know, it's like negative 50 C in parts of America right now. So I feel like I, I feel very clever for timing for, my exit appropriately. For, for the uh, international audience, that would be below zero. It's negative. It's like basically negative, negative 60 F. Yeah, yeah negative 50 C is like negative 60 F. So it's pretty similar, actually. Oh, it's the same? Yeah. Yeah, it's all the same. Okay. And then, uh, of course, we have us with Jiang Gan, the information super connector, uh, having a flurry of work to do at the end of the year. How How is your planning going at the end of the year, Jiang Gan? Dressed? Planning. I don't yeah, know. You said it's a lot of end of year stuff. I don't know what you're doing. You also have a haircut, too. Everyone's getting their haircut. Yep, yep, yep. A uh, lot of things going on. So I just thought that uh, this week would become easier. It didn't. It became more difficult. And... Um, yeah, so planning next week, we schedule two days for nothing, just for planning. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, so why don't we kick off? I, I mean, I thought we could just start off with the, because the, the, we were, I was reviewing the first episode we did in the year, and we can just discuss some of the stuff that happened over 2022, maybe some of the personal stuff if you feel like it. Uh, but uh, Dave, before you joined Jengen, was taking a victory lap reviewing the points very confidently calling all his <laughs> predictions last in the beginning of the year he said uh, i don't like making predictions and all these things but now he wants to talk about them because he was right so um i think no but with... if you if you remember what i said i said i don't like making predictions because if if you're wrong you look stupid but if you're yeah. right it seems super obvious like what you yeah, that what you true, predicted true, would true. come true so the overall payoff of making predictions is quite low because like yeah that's true yeah that's, <laughs> that's why that's, that's why i don't like no i mean I I, I, i've been doing that since 2017 and actually putting that <laughs> on our blog and uh, yeah we so actually, you have a public we, record of all your mistakes right <laughs> yes 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 and like like whatever person does have your right people are like well that's obvious like anyone could have told you that <laughs> yeah but uh but, but i wish to come back to to review at the end of the year which we did last week so Oh, perfect. Um, as, as, as an exercise for you to, 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 to sort of think with the team and what might happen this year. And, uh, and of course, we do the planning. It's based on a set of assumptions, right? That's so, true. Um, sure. so, so, yeah, we'll just put, put it out in, in the public. And of, and, of course, you get uh, certain things wrong. You get certain things right. Um, yeah, just to be open about it because um, I mean, if you if you if you get everything right, then something's probably not right. I mean, I mean, yeah. if you get everything right and you are not rich, then something's wrong. <laughs> well, if the question is if you act on it, you can always be right, like Nostradamus, and not make any money. Yeah. Else, so, but uh, the the one thing that was clear was that we we started the tone in 2022 early in the year. We said this would be a year of uncertainty, and to me, if anything. Still, there's even more uncertainty going to 2022, or at least more bearishness, maybe. I don't know how you guys feel, or, or do you guys feel it's more clear going into 2023? Sorry, are we not going to review the predictions first? That was the first thing that was set off the tone, but yeah, we are. Okay. Did you want me to go to the points? Okay, I'll go over the points. Yeah, let's, let's, let's do that first. Let's okay, do that okay, first. okay, okay. okay. So, I mean, we started off like with the, the chat being around like Jangan, our favorite topics of the platform players like Grab, you know, go to this kind of stuff. And on the on the agenda was, you know, talking about how groceries were a big part of the conversation. 
and how Grab needs to master their their finance uh, division, or you know, or just or growing that out as a, as another segment of the business. Um, a lot of IPOs happened as we expected, right? And uh, Jangan, you seemed at least from I was reading the notes or the the transcript, you were more bullish on grocery delivery, and Dave was very bearish. So I, I don't uh... know how that that turned out. I don't think I was bullish about uh, grocery, and uh, I was uh, I was saying that that this was an area that uh, that many companies would, would would want to go into because it's a it's a big market, and this mm, big market okay. has not been tapped. So, so 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 naturally, companies looking for more growth, and especially platform companies would um, would probably make more investments into this because they need to seek uh, continuous growth. Um, this was yeah, and this was off the heels of the Grab acquisition of the local supermarket in Malaysia, Jaya Grocers, right? Mm-hmm, the giant mm-hmm. grocers, yeah. Yeah, grocers, yes. Yeah. yeah. And so, okay. How, how did, what else is on the list? What else? Uh, is on what else? Is, um, you don't want to talk about it? Okay, fine. Uh, we talked about fifteen <laughs> minute. We were going to gloss over. Yeah. Okay. Fifteen minute mm-hmm. delivery was talked about. Uh, Jangan predict, predicted that there would be, um, that well, I mean, I, you didn't say anything too concretely. You were talking about how it was a very big vertical. Um, some you said I think you said some of the players would probably merge together and then some would die out, but it was something that was unexplored and very possible that it could turn out to be something bigger. Um, Fifty minutes? No, I was never believing that. No, I mean, well, no, you're very generous I mean, with your I mean, words then, or describing it. No, I was saying that uh, I mean somebody some somebody's go, was probably going to crack some part of delivery, but uh, oh yeah, correct. Yeah. But yeah, but but look okay. at what uh, what we have been putting on our blog. I mean, throughout the year, and uh, we, mm. we always said that okay, it was very skeptical about the fifty minutes delivery. Yeah. Which would would I mean? Yeah, I mean, well, maybe we'll come back to that. And then uh, mm-hmm. yeah, Andrew was saying how he knew that like the valuations would and for the fifteen delivery would be very rough, uh, somewhat flop. Mm-hmm. Um, Andrew predicted that revenue-based financing would blow up, and that's the kind of the company he's working for. And we were supposed to have an episode on it, but I think he couldn't make it. Blow um, up means implode, or uh, no, sorry, blow up as in get bigger. It would bloom. Okay. It would be like a revolution. Like there would be more revenue-based financing, <coughs> successful valuations, sustainable businesses. They fill in the gap in the, in the financing market, right? Um, mm-hmm. I was predicting that a lot of cloud kitchens would flop, or like you know. I, I personally, as a user, I never felt they were very add value, very low quality. Mm. Um, mm. I, I don't know if that's even part of the conversation anymore. Uh, mm-hmm. Dave was very spot on with a lot of his uh, macro predictions, and that's what he mostly focused on anyway, where you know, he said there would be a liquidity crunch at the end of the year. Uh, the rates would rise. Um, I'm not too sure if, you know, early in the year if you expected it would rise as high as they have and if they possibly still are going to keep rising. Um, and Dave said you know, people should have raised capital earlier in the year and aim for profitability. And this was said January 19th, right? And a lot of this, this kind of talks, followed by the second and third quarter, everyone was saying this, right? So Dave, Dave was pretty spot on earlier. Um, and I, I was commenting on how there would be this weird disjoint of supply chain where it wouldn't fully come back with a strong dollar if there was interest rates. And that does seem to be true. Now, I was talking with uh, Sabrina's company, Amazing Grace, and uh, they there were like supply chain has gone back, but not fully, but the cost of goods have gone up. And I think sustainably they have to pri- pass prices on further, right? And so you still have this weird high cost situation, higher prices that will remain. And, you know, there are still some delays in certain areas in supply mm-hmm. chain. Um, we made some VC predictions too. There was, um, I think, Jangan, you said there was a lot of money in the region. 
and there was lots of talent who could take advantage of it. So I don't know if that really kind of came true or whether that, you know, there was more of a crunch and then people just got fired and they, they're just kind of living off their high salary savings or whatnot. We could talk about that. Um, Andrew said that VC ticket sizes will pr probably permanently go up because of how much money was in the market. So I'm not too sure if, you know, early stage or what stage tickets for investments have they gone up, have they stayed or have they gone down? Um, they've kind of just gone down direction. categorically, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, general. I mean, in general, I don't know about like region specific, but in the US, they've definitely gone down. Yeah. I, I think certain stages might be not too different. I mean, yeah, maybe like the early stage, like 10 million checks are probably a lot less, but I don't know, at least for our region, million dollar checks or a few million dollar checks are still quite high for early stage, right? So just a, uh, just a very, very quick comment on that. Um, I, I do see a lot of, uh, a lot of dry powder, which has been raised or committed by uh, last year or beginning of this year, uh, remain dry powder. I mean, people have been sort of um, uh, quite um, cautious in deploying. And uh, I also think that, I mean, people don't say it public about it, but I also think lots of people are waiting for the, for the valuations to, to go down and which, um, which obviously um, would not happen very quickly, especially for companies which still have, uh, have lots of cash liquidity. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, they've made some other broad predictions where, you know, there would be increased competition with, you know, regions like China versus US um, and along that lines, you know, I was saying because of this kind of these kind of trends, you know, the conflict would happen. And of course, a month later, Ukraine happened, right? Um, Andrew was betting on how late stage capitalism and the macro trends where, you know, tech makes more wealth, uh, but, you know, they're, they're either get more wealth and it distributes more evenly, or, you know, you get a bigger uh, wealth gap. And I think that's what Andrew was kind of saying that even though we have more wealth from the technology, but, you know, it's the top percentile that's still hoarding it, right? So I think that's kind of true. And Andrew was predicting how China would emerge more clearly as a, a different kind of paradigm as as it rises in global economic power. Power, which I, I would probably tend to disagree with that. I don't think that's very clear at this point. You know, by the end of this year, if anything, it's it shows that probably U.S. is still the main. It seems weaker, but still the main strongest country. And you know, with the dollar strength and everything that's happening politically, even though it looks like a mess, it's still the strongest economy. By you know, never China's not going to take over anytime soon, at least in the next decade. Uh, very clearly, at least to me. Um, last point was, I think Dave uh, talked about how China needs to shift to hard and deep tech. You know, they kind of hit all the low hanging fruit already. You know, they're they're scratching the bottom of, you know, middle income country to you know going to a high income country. And in order to transition, they need to get innovation in the deeper areas to to get on track for that. So those those were the main points. So I mean, I don't know. Do you guys want to comment anything that? I mean, Dave could take his victory lap. You know, he was right about. 15 minute delivery, groceries, liquidity crunch. I'm actually, I'm actually pretty impressed by the breadth and depth of the things we talked about at the beginning of the year. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is, is there anything that sticks out to you though? Like I, I don't hear anything from 15 minute deliveries. Like, is that completely wow. dead in your, in your guys' radar? Uh, groceries, was that, that really wasn't pursued as a category much bigger, you know? Um, and I don't know how the, how the platform players are faring now from this. You know, of course, a lot of things change where the macro trend did come true, but they had a cut. What do you guys think? I mean, I think if you look at this list, right, a lot of the a lot of the like, initiatives or trends that we've seen in the last couple of years 
has all really been enabled by a low interest rate environment where capital is free. So, I mean, I think 15, groceries and specifically 15 minute groceries are, I think, like a kind of a poster child for this, mm -hmm. right? Where you have these razor thin margins, you just toss, you know, unholy amounts of money for user acquisition and the payoff of that is questionable at best. And I think we, we are seeing sort of like a fundamental paradigm shift where, um, you know, you ask the interest rate question, I don't think interest rates are going to go down anytime soon, especially now mm -hmm. with China coming back from their COVID, oh, yeah. the zero COVID policy. That's so it's only going to go up. So I think we're in this new mm, world order for at least a couple of years where it's going to, people are going to look seriously about, you know, their return on invested capital. And so a lot of these business models that were enabled by cheap capital are no longer viable. Right. So, so yeah. a lot of these things just, just, just you know, they're, they're kind of dead, they're dead in the water. Right. And so even if you were like a grocery delivery player that raised, I don't know, like at the top of the market, you're still in a position where that money has to last you for a very, very long time, unless you fundamentally change your business model somehow. So yeah, I think a lot of these are just dead. Do, do you think that was like, you know, you said because this came from a low interest environment, so this wasn't really solving for, this was money trying to find a problem versus, you know, yeah. versus, I guess, you know, it coming from a fundamental problem trying to solve the system and there was just too much money trying to create it, I guess. That, is that what you're basically yeah. saying? I mean, this, this is not my point about the, that entire industry since the first time we talked about it. It's just, it doesn't solve a problem. I don't know what problem it's solving. It's like, oh, great. I can get like a banana in 15 minutes. That's marginally better than me walking to the grocery store and getting a banana in 20 minutes. Like, just, like, yeah. I, I don't see the, the use case for this yeah. at all. And especially now, you can't actually walk to the grocery store and fairly conveniently. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. I, I mean, so, like, so, I, so, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. So I think. I think across the board, I mean, if you look at, um, if you look at the e-commerce e in general in this region, um, Alibaba put in their Q3 uh, quarter report saying that Lazada order uh, numbers actually went down in the third quarter of the year. Yeah, and that. They, they largely blame that to, um, to, the, to the opening up. I think, um, I think Shopee's number of orders were, was flat in Q3 compared to Q2. Uh, mm. Grab's number, uh, Grab's GMV was, uh, and delivery GMV was flat, uh, Q2 to Q3. So, so, so you do see that, uh, I, 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 I think the, the reopening of offline actually takes lots of this volume away. And of course, a part of, part, part of that is also, um, these online players are, are dishing out, um, fewer incentives, fewer vouchers. So, 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 so a few, um, factors, I mean, coming together. So actually, actually pushing lots of the volume actually back offline. Yeah. Definitely, mm. and and specifically about the fifteen minutes uh, delivery. I was um, I was having a long chat with a friend of mine who who runs one. I think one. Of the, I mean, who runs the strategy at, at at one of the major sort of uh, grocery um, companies in China. I mean, online and offline grocery companies in China, which are still uh, surviving. And um, and and a few key points from what he shared with me. So first, obviously, I mean, in China this year things fluctuated a lot, right? I mean, sometimes you can have dying, you can go out, sometimes you can't go out. So, 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 so that changed the dynamics, I mean, periodically. So pure online players and pure offline players find it very diff difficult to adjust because they, you couldn't predict. Um, second is that uh, I think there was lots of competition in the sort of instant grocery or 15 minutes, gross, I mean, 30 minutes, whatever, 
um, space in different cities, and uh, and that, that allowed uh, some dynamics to play out. So his formula is that um, for for each of the so-called dark stores they run or gray stores, whatever, so each mini yeah. warehouses they run, uh, they need about four thousand uh, orders per day uh, in the one point five kilometer vicinity radius. Um, to, to 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 make the store break even. So I said, yeah. how did you get that? So they said, we'll be running that in multiple cities, and um, and uh, there, there are a few cities that uh, that we have been able to raise that to three thousand orders per store, and it wow. just doesn't it just doesn't break even. So, but in two cities they they, they did they managed to 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 push that above four thousand, and and with four thousand orders uh, they have uh, enough utilization of the fleet. And they have, uh, I think, enough sort of a density of the orders, and they have enough um, data points for them to plan their inventory. So he said that's, I mean, of course, I mean, we go to different countries would be different, but uh, this is the ballpark that they have in China for things to work. China, okay. Which is actually, actually a pretty tall order, right? I mean, 1.5 kilometer radius, 4,000 orders well, a day. I'm th- cause I mean, I'm it thinking depends like, a lot on the population density within those 1.5 kilometers. But right. I mean, and, and your population head, density as order. well as the, as as well as the, the the topography of the city, right? I mean, correct, I mean, correct. In China, yeah, you, exactly. you know that in yeah. you know last twenty years they demolished all the old neighborhoods and built apartment blocks, and uh, I think the density is um, it, it's kind of consistent, if not uniform. I, I think that like if all cities were built the same way, this would scale make sense. But if you think about the the number of cities in the world that would actually match this and have not solved it in a physical way already, like Hong Kong or, or New York, you just literally walk down to mm. your bodega or your store downstairs and you get it within less than mm. 10 minutes. So like there's a very unique set of cities where it's like dense enough, but spread out enough where you would actually need someone to go get it for you. Or there's a unique consumer behavior that's been cultivated, kind of like how in Vietnam where Taxis were already solved, so you didn't read rideshare, but because of so much money was thrown to it, now rideshare is the predominant way, even though you're not solving anything. So, like, I, unless you know you're able to do that in a very unique way, but I don't see that being like a venture-funded business. I, I don't know; I could be wrong. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that's a very good point because even it's really a business that can only exist on the on the city by city level, even even with like a neighborhood by neighborhood level, right? Because also, if you think about it, there's no real economies of scale. In this business like what are you like every market you go to you have to replicate all the same things you have to replicate the real estate you have to replicate the inventory yeah. you have to replicate the the fleet uh i mean so what can, what can you really port over i mean yeah. yeah maybe there's like an off chance that a customer from like one market might move mm-hmm. or spend like a month in a in another market but you know there's there's really there's no efficiencies that to be to be gained so I, yeah it just didn't make sense at all ever mm-hmm. I, I I I spoke with a friend who had been uh, who has been uh, investing in uh, consumer consumption related co- companies uh, since nineteen ninety eight. Um, I think I think he, I think major thing he looked at and and also I think I agree that many other people are looking at the same things right is the is the supply chain when you try to do things at the national level, uh, mm-hmm. the supply chain for fresh in each city. I think even in Malaysia, I mean the the supply chain in K- in KL versus the supply chain in Penang will probably be very different. So, so so it, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to build build things at national scale. Um, and and the second point that that he mentioned is that uh, of course there are things like FMCG where you have sort of nationwide distribution, but 
but but if you look at I mean how this this large FMCG companies have been managing their channel and distributed distribution partners, you will notice that um, they have been trying very hard to make sure that the, now the distributors become particularly strong. Yeah. So so I think the same thing would apply to to online distributors as well. Um. What, what, so one of my one of my my thoughts was the the cloud kitchen line, but maybe broadly more speaking about the food and food tech. What you know, as twenty twenty two unfolded, you know, food has been a big story for a lot of these platform players. Grab, go to, um, mm. even regionally like Line in Thailand or Vietnam would be the local players there, right? It, mm. Do you think this has changed? Is food still as a, you know, golden child is as viable or and critical to the business model? Um, what are your guys' thoughts? You know. We are, um, you know, every January we publish this uh, food delivery platforms in Southeast Asia report, and uh, we're actually at the moment finalizing our report for 2023. Uh, I think it's going to be launched in the second week of January. So I, I, I have had a, a glimpse of uh, what the team has put together. So, um, so, so one thing that, uh, that that was included in our prediction at the beginning. of the year we said that okay, or all, all the food delivery platforms will invest heavily into uh, post systems, point of sale systems, and this actually turned out to be actually quite accurate. So you see that I mean, beginning uh, towards the end of last year, uh, Food Panda bought this bought this uh, Tap Square, which provides tablets and also uh, sort of ordering etc. systems for restaurants. Um, Grab acquired Elements. Uh, POS player um, based in Malaysia, which uh, they are probably going to use to to push aggressively across their merchants uh, at least in a number of key markets. So Lima One Eye, which raised I think 265 million from um, from GIC and a few other investors, they are they have been actually sort of uh, deploying their own posts in Thailand as well. So 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 so, so you would see that uh, um, the food delivery players they are trying to capture the offline food traffic. They're trying to have more control uh, over the supply. I mean, this is something that Meta has already been doing in China uh, with uh, with food merchants. That's something JD has been doing in China with retail merchants. So at the end of the day, I mean, you realize that okay, if you're just a, a platform, sort of uh, with a, with, a, with the fulfilled network, um, it's, it's it's good, but it's not good enough. You still need to have a, have a strong control over the supply, or you decide to have a strong control over the supply. In in China. Are was was it as fragmented as it is Southeast Asia in terms of point of sale players? Because I, I feel like the Meituans and the JDs probably had a wider ocean to attack with less competition, or, or was it just as fragmented? I think here? in uh, I think in China first there was no no pause <laughs> a few years ago, nothing. and most and there, I mean for most of the the, the small merchants there was nothing. And, uh, what what is happening now? I mean, there has have been quite a number of uh, of post players which emerged over the last ten years. Um, aside from the ones which have already been acquired by major players, I think everybody is pretty much suffering, right? Because platforms will come come in and say that, hey, um, somebody asked you to pay for a subscription for this device, or somebody asked you to buy, to buy this device. We're going to offer you super cheap or even for free. So it's 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 extremely difficult for uh, for for individual players to compete in this game. Um, aside from a few big ones, which target uh, target major groups like hotels and stuff, where where you need lots of integration, where you care a lot about sort of uh, data leaking out rather than sort of convenience of usage. 
So yeah, so independent players, um, pretty much impossible to survive in China at the moment. They build big enough moats in China, I guess. Here, I feel like it's yeah, different. They, 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 they look at all these players in Southeast Asia, right? I mean, Store Hub in Malaysia raising money and but also having raised money. And uh, there's agents which has based out of Hong Kong, which which has raised Tons money. And uh, there are few, yeah, there are a few other players um, um, sort of in the market. Um, I just don't think um, any. I don't. I just don't think that the SaaS model actually works. And you're not going to make money from SaaS when charging the merchants and stuff. You're not going to make it. Sorry, why? Like, what's your what's your logic on that? I'm curious why you think that. Um, the first, a bit, the big players are going to undercut you the platforms. And second, um, I think only only the major large restaurants are willing to continuously pay for a SaaS model. I I, I don't. Oh. Ima- I mean, I, I have I have a few um, restaurants and bars think... next to my office. Yeah, which I, yeah. which I go to fairly regularly. Um, many of them have been using the the post from nineteen nineties. They're just not willing to pay for anything subscription based. Yeah, if you think also from a restaurant perspective, like there, there's so many options where people are just offering it cheaper or free, where you know as soon as you start to charge, as long as it's working, they're just going to switch probably at no cost. And they they've probably gone through a few different service providers already. So I don't know. Oh, right. You're, you're talking, but you're talking about something that, that does exclusively point of sale, right? Not necessarily yes. like the integrated restaurant management oh, solution. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That's okay. Fair enough. I think, okay. okay. I, I think even for integrated uh, restaurant management solution, you, you, your chances are with a big chance, right? I mean, you work with Starbucks, you work with, uh, yeah, of course. I don't know, McDonald's, et cetera. I mean, uh, for you to yeah. target a lot, uh, the, the long tail of a small and medium sized restaurants, I don't think you're going to get much traction out of that. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, just the, the sales economics wouldn't work out on something like that, right? If you hire like a mm-hmm. high priced or relatively sophisticated person to, to go talk to all these small restaurants for a ticket size of like, I don't know what, like, 5,000, 10,000 sing per outlet per year max. It just doesn't make sense. And you can't, and there's no seat expansion that's built into that. So no, that I agree. Um, I mean, back to the food question, I think this is, and and what I mean is like a food question specifically in the context of these like larger platform apps, it seems to me like it's just a continuation of the age old uh, business strategy where you, you have a customer base and you're just looking for more products to sell to them, right? I mean, companies do this all the time. Like Salesforce does this. Salesforce had Salesforce and they went around and acquired a bunch of other products and then they sell that product, or those new products against their Salesforce customers. The only, I think, key difference in this scenario is, you know, with something like Salesforce, it's a high margin software product. And with something like food delivery, it's a really terrible, like low margin product. So you're just layering a, a bad product on top of another bad product. It's not like one is a high margin product and one is a low margin product. You can sort of like ameliorate uh, the situation here. So I, I mean, it, it just seems to me like there there are people that they they said, oh, we built out this like last mile logistics function capability, and now we're looking for more ways to monetize that. But ultimately, you still probably end up not making a lot of money on any of these, instances. and then like the sum of the whole doesn't actually create a lot of value beyond the individual pieces. So 
you know, uh, whether these are standalone companies or whether they're part of a greater whole, unless it's something on the back end or that's something that like sort of undergirds actually makes money, I don't see it fundamentally changing the problem for any of these companies. Well, like say in the case of like a food panda player though, without competition, that was definitely making money profitably too, probably, right? I don't know. You guys worked there, did it? <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Jagan, like, I don't, I don't know directly, the, and I, I don't know understanding at the were. time. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I think at the end of the day, I mean, if you look at each city um, in Southeast, each major city in Southeast Asia, um, there has been a lot of uh, uh, traditional sort of food delivery players and, and sort of co-co order players, which uh, which which cater to niche markets. I mean, you have. Companies which have just been delivering Japanese food in Bangkok, or companies just been delivering sort of a, a Sichuan hot pot in Singapore, and traditionally they have they have been earning a decent living. I mean, not fantastic, but uh, but enough for I mean for the owner to buy a nice car, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, but the but the thing is that when you try to target um, the mass market, right? I mean, you try to um, build large fleets and uh, and and have 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 sufficient utilization of this fleet. Um, et cetera, et cetera. For, for things to, to make sense, it, it, it becomes much harder. And, um, and they have set up the, I mean, they have, I, I think in, in, in the region, the, the, the commission rate, which has been set up, uh, has been much higher compared to what you would see in China. Uh, but even with that, uh, for large platforms, um, the margin is usually very thin or, or, or negative. So, so what can I do about it, right? I mean, they have to, um, either increase the, the density and volume, so which means that the utilization could be higher, or um, they have to squeeze very hard into uh, each part of the operations to make uh, uh, make sure things make sense. Um, so, so I, th I think I think players have already uh, uh, sort of recognized that, uh, and this is not like a six hundred million uh, person market. Uh, Meituan in China has a, I think, an annual sort of transacting user base of 588 million, if I remember correctly. So that translates to monthly transacting of how many? Um, 200, 250 million people. So Grab has a monthly transacting user base of a 30, 32 or 33 million. So, so the market we are dealing with is actually much smaller than many people had predicted. So the question is that um, uh, we eventually become, we eventually become bigger and uh, how big it will eventually become and how long it would, it would take. I think the players have, have sort of established that it will, take a, it will take a long time. That is why I think that they are um, starting to layer more options uh, and, uh, and, and more offerings for, for the user base and merchant base, which, which they see as, as, um, as high value. And uh, I mean, mm -hmm. I don't think they have a choice. They have, they, have to, they have to do it because it's a very thin margin business and the scale is smaller than what people had predicted. So, so you, what do you do? You try to increase the um, the average customer value, and and I also do think that trying to control uh, the POS is probably important for those guys, especially now. Um, I mean, restaurants have other options, right? I mean, they have dine, uh, which now is probably uh, a, a larger chunk for, yeah. for 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 many players. They have. Um, um, they have uh, their own customer acquisition channels through through Instagram, TikTok, or whatever, or Xiaohongshu, and they can they can get third party uh, players to fulfill. So, so so I think the food delivery players, um, uh, the platforms have to have more control of the merchants for it to make sense. I mean, at the moment, if I mean if you don't know 
where eighty percent or eighty five percent of the of the of the sales of the merchants uh, go to, you you probably don't have much leverage over there. <laughs> and any any final thoughts, Dave, on that? No, let's talk about something more interesting. I feel like we've we've had like we've kind of like yeah. hashed over this food grocery conversation ad nauseum. So let's yeah, let's just let's move on. I don't I don't yeah, want to I mean I think anymore. I think the, like, the short of it the short of it is that it's it's probably going to reflect in the stock prices of these guys and it's not as big as people thought and you know but like yeah it's a, it's a dead horse for beating at this point and uh, it's, it's to yeah. me it's almost a question of like you know trading on a margin you know can you remain liquid long enough before you could figure out how to before you know you're right and it, yeah. the trade turns around or you're just gonna run out of money and the margin mm -hmm. call comes right so i, I think yep. that's where they are and man that's a so, huge bet that these guys made right so yeah, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the the, the sort of net, uh, what's the term for that? I think um, I think GoTo has enough cash to last them for about a year and a half, oh, really? which is not oh. great. Yeah, and great. Uh, yeah. I think I think Grab has lots of cash. They they were quite lucky with their uh, with their uh, spec listing. They raised lots of cash back then, so. Yeah. So, so they can last for, for for much longer, which gives them time to to figure out. I mean, how to generate a free, a free cash flow. Um, Delivery Hero is in a net debt position, so I, I just don't know how this is going to play out. Okay, let's move on. So, any yeah. any, 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 on. any final any final thoughts on the VC part? You know, where there was a lot of dry powder not being used. Uh, the talent would come to fill out this dry powder. Uh, what do you guys think that looks like for next year in terms of how VC is going to act or play out i guess i just wish i mean maybe maybe i'm going to offend some people by saying that but i just wish that uh, the conversations with vcs could be smarter i mean with lots of vcs because quite, quite you, often yeah i mean you, 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 you know you know you know it's funny you bring that up because i like for a lot of the founders i've been talking to throughout the year have literally echoed the same sentiment that they are like severely disappointed with the quality of VC investors in the region of just have, being able to, you know, have a deep discussion or even pursue things in a, like, a, you know, a first principles way, or like just fundamentally from something that's smarter. You know, I, I think that that really hits on something where there's a big gap to fill with smarter money. And I don't know if that's going to get filled, where that's going to come from or how it's going to get grown locally, especially if there's so much quote unquote dry powder lying around or does that money just go somewhere else then, right? So I don't know. What, I mean, I'm actually curious, where did you get that dry powder? Like what, what are you basing that off of? Like just how much like committed capital there is in Singapore or the region alone? Like what, oh, what's, the, what's the exact number? I'm curious where you get that from. How much money has been committed and has not yet been deployed? So how much, what's, what is that number? Uh, I, I I don't have the latest uh, off the top of my head, but um, but 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 you you did see that uh, a number of uh, uh, funds being closed and announced at the beginning of this year, um, ranging from three hundred million to eight hundred million. I mean eight hundred million in the case of Sequoia. So so when but that you know money the... was. Mm. Oh, sorry, 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 please go ahead. I mean, what I'm saying is that if, I mean, lots of this money would have to be invested in, in a growth stage. And uh, I think in growth stage, you do have competition from investors from from everywhere, right? I mean, who would look at uh, growth stage uh, companies in in this region? So, 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 so you, even if a fraction of this money is actually deployable, I'm I'm not sure. I mean, how many sort of companies at that stage um, that they can find without overpaying? Well, I think yeah, that's so. First of all, I think it's like this this 
mechanism in the industry where I think a lot of times there's the timing of the fund announcement doesn't actually mean all that much because as you know, sometimes the funds could have been deployed already. It could be rolling funds. You, mm -hmm. Like I think that maybe is a misnomer about how much money is um, is available. But I think I think what you you're getting at something that's interesting is like what and I, we've always had this conversation. It's like you raised so much capital, but like realistically, how much of that can you deploy in a reasonable into well run companies that have a reasonable chance of success and my position has always been that there's not that many of them in the region still and especially i think given how tumultuous the last year has been i think a lot of people um founders and companies that have uh, that are starting up are still sort of under this old paradigm where their business models were again you know optimized for low interest rate cheap capital and you can kind of throw money at problems right where i think whereas now you think about the time delay right so we sitting here, you know, as investors, we're looking at interest rates on a regular basis, and I can see that it's going up by like 75, 100 basis points every month. And so obviously my criteria changes on, on a monthly basis because like there's less risk that I'm willing to underwrite just because if I want to take that risk, I can still put my money into like a T-bill or something, right? Whereas like the founders, I don't think have necessarily, and this is just pure gut. Right. I don't actually have a lot of data points back to this, but my, my gut instinct is telling me like a lot of the founders in the region haven't really adjusted to this. And so the types of businesses that they're starting and the types of businesses that exist don't necessarily match the investor criteria that is now there. So I think we're going to see most likely at least a couple of months or like a, a certain period of time where this will still be this mismatch. We're going to have the only, these business models are only viable when, when there's one set of criteria, but obviously a new set of criteria and the companies that meet that new set of criteria probably don't exist yet or are probably just being started like right now. Mm. Also, it takes time for the, um, you know, for the existing companies to be re repriced, right? I mean, so... Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, yeah, so, I think it's a timing so, issue. And also, Dave, I mean, this is something I don't really know, but uh, you, you, you might be in a better position to explain. Um, when are the VCs obliged to 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 sort of mark up or mark down their position? Uh, is that I mean, is there a fixed time frame that, that they're supposed to make that reporting? So if they said that okay, question. end of this year, uh, everybody everybody's supposed to report their their their, their position to the LPs, and then we'll right? see. It's basically yeah. what you want. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like right? when yeah. you like it, because yeah, every fund no, like, hard fast sure. rule for this. It's like when you want it. Mm. Mm. It's not in their interest to ever do it then. So, well, I mean, until the reality. No, is it's true. Reality, yeah. This is this is yeah. correct. This is part of the problem. It's yeah. never in their interest. I mean, it's in their interest to do it when they're trying to raise the yeah, new yeah, funds. Right. <laughs> Obviously, well, no I one's think, doing that right now. <laughs> I think what what what's interesting what you guys are talking about is the it ties back to the talent line, which is you know is there enough uh, opportunity and people to meet that that kind of uh, money? And I think like I kind of agree where that's really not the case. But what we've seen from when we were in university when we were executing and building tech startups in our career, right? What's very clear is that people follow the money. When, when at least for me, when I was graduating, it was still kind of like the, the end of like, you know, investment banker, consultant, you want to follow the money there. But then because of the low interest rate environment, you know, QE, um, you know, all this money squeezing into VC, right? It was cool to build tech startups what we saw in the past decade plus, right? So my, my question to you is like, where do you think that money goes and where do you think the talent shifts? You know, does like VC get smaller? Does tech startups get smaller? Does it shift to a different industry completely? Do we go back to bankers 
talent going back to banking and consulting again? What, what do you guys think? Or to me, there seems to be a shift happening. So I don't know. What, what do you guys think? Sorry, what's the, what's the question? Where the, where the talent is going to go? Yeah, because my point is that talent will follow the money. And I think, you know, do you think the money will still remain with the dry powder and the VC and the tech startups? Or do you think, you know, people will shift out of this and start doing other things? Will they go into private equity? Will, you know, where, you know, where's the money, where's the money going, do you think? So essentially you're asking like where people are going to invest, that, that's your question? Well, because it's, it's tied to the talent, you know, where, because people follow the money. So where's the money going? And then that's where the talent will shift to, right? I got I to think about that for a second. It's a good question. Yeah, because, well, let's say this, like, you know, if you're talking to university students today who are graduating probably this year or next year, you know, and if they want to be making money, where would you advise them to go? Is it tech startups? Is it VC? Right, and, and then that would also help frame some of the, you know, the context we're talking about where, uh, you know, can, is there enough talent? Will there be enough talent? Uh, will investors get smarter and better if more people get into it? Will it develop? Who passes on the baton? Does the game change? Is it more of a private equity play where you know these guys start piecing up whatever the tech guys did and you know, kind of put it together to optimize it? Right. I mean, so the, okay, that, that's an actually a super interesting question, but I think there's a dimension of accessibility that needs to be built into it, right? Or access needs to be built into it. Like, yes, right now is actually a great time to be a private equity investor because you can go around and buy up a lot of these tech companies that were way overvalued for probably pretty cheap. And then yeah. you could, especially, I mean, especially after what Elon Musk has done with Twitter, he's like cut like what, 50, 75% of the workforce <laughs> and it still seems to be working fine. So there's like definitely an opportunity for like a lot of PE guys to go around raise capital, buy up these companies, slash two thirds of the workforce, optimize cash flows, and then, you know, dispose those assets for, I think, significant, substantial returns, right? But I mean, someone that's graduating from college is not gonna get that job. That, yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just but not they, possible. But I mean, uh, and if you do, get, you're not gonna get attracted to it though, get right? Carry. Yeah, they're not going to get, yeah, they're not yeah. going to have that same opportunity, but what that means is they yeah. would go to invest in banking again, or whatever opportunity gets them closer to that, right? I mean, if you think I about think, it, like 20 years ago, that was the path. Like, say you want to get the private equity, you're not getting it right away unless you're bloodline or you're genius or, you know, right. But they would go to the sell side. They would probably prove themselves sell side within a few years, make, you know, do a few deals and try to jump to buy side, right? Like that was the blueprint like 20 years ago. Still is to a degree for people who are still interested in that space. But, you know, sorry, Jengen, sorry to cut you off. What are you saying? No, I was saying that, uh, um, I mean, since the beginning of the, this year, we've been putting our blog uh, saying that uh, for, for young people, fresh graduates, uh, Shopee is not the right place for you. Uh, but of course, oh, um, interesting. You, okay. I've I, I been saying that because you, your career path development is, uh, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a highly specialized organization. It's probably over-specialized and, uh, and, uh, and there's lots of efficiencies, which means that uh, you are not going to have... Uh, a good career tra trajectory, um, unless you are super exceptional, um, for you to join at, at, at this moment. So I was speaking with, uh, with, uh, with someone who, who just did an internship with the uh, shop in Malaysia. She just left and she was telling me that, uh, yeah. So, so, so after like spending half a year with Shopee, she realized that, but, um, but just look at how amazing their campus, um, branding has been so 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 i i, I think that that theme has been consistent right people go for the companies which do the do the best um campus recruitment and best branding 
and the things that the sure. I mean, of yeah, course, in the in Asian context that the parents are proud of. Um, so, um, yes. I, so, 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 but, 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 but when people talk about tech, people talk about non-tech, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, it's it's still like huge umbrella terms. When we talk about private private sure. equity. So, what's the point if you for you to join the industry if you are not any up in the sort of top firms? I mean, if you are in tech, um, what's the chance of you actually making it? So. so so I think in every the hot sector at the end of the day, I mean, some people have just, uh, in a way, lucky in a way, sort of uh, uh, worked their their way above everybody else, and uh, I don't think there's in like industry where everybody would across the board make it. Yeah. So, so I and also I mean back to the point where we mentioned about tech companies being super uh, inefficient. I mean, if you look at the company like Shopee, uh, Grab at their growth stage. I think efficiency was probably the, the 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 last concern they would have, right? Because they they, yes. they, they, they were pushing for growth, and of course at at the moment when people are, are I mean investors are pushing for efficiency, um, it's the painful it's adjustment. Yeah, and also well, if you look at the uh, yeah, and if you look at all those like uh, in bigger firms like Google, Facebook, etc., are they efficient or were they efficient? Probably not, right? I mean because um, because they have one driver which is making yeah. a lot of lot of profit. And uh, and that, that hides a lot of things that you do, which 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 are which could be could be be done in, in a more efficient way. So so I, I I guess that's in a way how people are looking at uh, what Musk is potentially doing at Twitter. Right? Mm-hmm. If he can make it uh, turn around with a much leaner workforce, um, I think people are going to demand that for the other um, tech companies, large tech companies. To me, it sounds like what we're talking mm-hmm. about is that there. Currently, we're in a big transition phase, and there's a big mismatch of labor talent to what needs to be met the next decade, or I don't know, next few years, maybe even, right? Like mm-hmm. a lot of my, I have a handful of friends who've raised a lot of money and tried to hire these elites from these tech firms like you know Google, you know Facebook and whatnot, and they've been severely disappointed the talent that they have by the quality hire. of the talent, or yes, the quality of the talent. Well, also because I mean it's it's a combination of culture but ability to execute because there are different stages. So the, mm. you know, and at the same time, we're also talking the other spectrum, you know, young talent, if they only know how to grow a company inefficiently, it's not going to really work in the new environment when you're trying to hire. Right. So it's, it sounds like a very interesting. Thing. No, I mean. So, so, so one of our major investors um, has the Alibaba, Alibaba background, right? And he has runs, runs a VC. And, uh, and of course, if you look at uh, the press announcements about the deals they did in China, and it seems that I a mean, majority came from like ex Alibaba founders, and people naturally say that, okay, this guy is a sort of a pro Alibaba founder. He takes care of the ecosystem with Alibaba. And, but actually, if you speak to him, he will say that, okay, people, people only look at the, the Alibaba, ex Alibaba founders who have invested in. People don't look at uh, the ex Alibaba founders who have passed. That's actually much more. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so I think, uh, I, I think it's hot. I mean, we, we try to invest in companies, we try to hire talent, which is, which, uh, re- which requires a lot of fit, lots of, um, mm, lots of particular, particular sort of traits and uh, to, to make things work. And it's very hard to generalize. I mean, it's very hard to generalize that so some people coming from a particular oh, yeah. firm or particular experience would work. I mean, it, it, it's, it, it, it is the future, but it's one of the many futures that you have to do, right? Yeah. Do you have any thoughts on that before we move on? I mean, I think the reason I'm having such a hard time answering this question is like, yeah, I agree. Like generic career advice is really hard to 
give because there's so many variables that have to be considered, right? So like, I think it's difficult to say. Yeah, I mean, yes, to be fair, it was, it was true for like maybe 20 years that if you wanted to be wealthy, the easiest way to do it was just go work for Google, get a bunch of options and just wait for them to yeah, invest, correct. right? So that's, and to a certain extent, I think that's probably still true. Yeah, nice to go. Like, I think like if your if your objective is just to uh, make a bunch of money, but you don't want to take on the risk of starting your own venture, the best way to do it, I still think, is to um, go get a job at basically one of these big four, big five tech firms in whichever geography that you're located in. So you know that that'd be like yeah. the fame uh in um you know so the the everyone knows who these people are right um but i think if you but again like if you, there's, there's got to be considerations beyond just like how much money you make right it's like how how much do you like your job <laughs> do you are you learning something there's, there's there's a lot more consideration on top of that and i've always sort of been in the camp of you should you know generally speaking find a firm where there's like a lot of smart, interesting people that you want to work with working on a product or a project that you have some form of interest in. And that's yeah. like, if you're young, if you're a young person coming out of school, um, that's how I would filter it. But I mean, beyond that, it's, I think it was very difficult because it's just, there's just too many unknown, yeah. you know, components to it. Yeah. I've been having lots of discussions with, um, with some of the friends who have been Building AI models for for years, and um, and and some of the ones that I'm, I'm I'm particularly close with, they all have the same sort of uh, conclusion uh, that uh, that things like ChatGPT would eventually eventually replace like ninety five percent of the white collar jobs because a lot of white collar jobs have are traditionally relied on having some kind of expertise and passing that information along in a chain so 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 this could be i mean they don't know how how long this would take but uh, but they've been building models for years and they they look at this model and one of them is telling me that okay uh, uh I've, I've, I've been running a company for seven years i've raised i mean hundreds of millions of dollars and now realize that okay what i did was completely I mean, not wrong but uh, but but pale compared to <laughs> No, pale compared to 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 what GPT can do. Oh, I see so, what you mean. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and he even he even told me a story. He said, okay, last week we had the we had a problem with uh, with one of our projects. So he asked like five project managers and to to find a solution. Then he also at the same time asked GPT, and GPT solution is much better than <laughs> both of the five combined. I mean, that's an interesting uh, conversation, right? I, I I don't know. That's that's a pretty maximalist view. Where it, you know ninety five percent get destroyed. I think there's gonna be a long period of transition, and along that way, yes, a lot of old jobs that we know existed from the old world paradigm will be gone completely, and new paradigms are created. But I don't know. That, that, I'm not. I wouldn't be as like. Uh, is this fair to say bullish on that? Yeah, I wouldn't be as bullish on that. You know, I definitely has has a place in society. It's gonna change a lot of things that we have to think about, but. I mean, that's massive, massive disruption, um, even, if, even if it happens within a decade, which, which is very possible, right, at the rate that things are changing. Dave, what do you think? Uh, oh yeah, this is a little more interesting. I don't, I mean, yes, obviously it's going to change the way that we work, but I, I mean, I don't think, I mean, 
I don't want to get into a conversation of like, is it going to be 80%, 90%, 30%? Because yeah, 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 yeah. no, one, no, one, no one knows the answer to that, right? right. But yeah. ultimately, it's the way I think number. about yeah. It's, yeah, like you just make it up. You're like, oh, like whatever, 100%, 2,000%, whatever, yeah. right? Um, so I, the way I think about chat GPT, and I think Ben Thompson has a lot of really good thoughts about this, is the jobs that it's most likely to replace first are the ones where the risk of getting the wrong answer is low, right? The framework. What, so... So for example, like uh, if I'm optimizing like ad, if I'm, if, I'm, if I'm a digital marketer, if I'm digital, I mean, Google and Facebook kind of already do this anyway, but like if I'm a digital marketer or a copywriter and I'm trying to write headlines for like my Facebook ads, right? It doesn't really matter if my, my headline is right or if it's wrong or it doesn't work, it doesn't work, but I have other iterations and it's fine. But in professions where you, you do need to be right a lot, and the cost of being wrong is very, very high. So let's say like a doctor or a lawyer, then those professions will be the last to go, right? Or the most will, will be the last ones to be impacted by, by chat GPT. And also, I think it also depends on sort of like what your function is in an organization. So there's a lot of organizations where you don't actually solve any problems. You're just repeating steps in a process that's already been established. And in those cases, yeah, then you're, then you're in trouble. But if you're like, if you're trying to like, if you're on the edge of like knowledge and you're trying to like learn new things, making new discoveries, solving problems that haven't been solved in the past, mm -hmm. then I think you're still quite safe. Because when you think about ChatGPT, it's really just a probabilistic algorithm that strings together a bunch of answers using a data set that already exists. It doesn't actually fundamentally understand what it's doing. It's just saying like, these are the millions of iterations of this I've seen in the past. This is what I I've been told is roughly the right answer. And therefore I'm gonna produce this to you but it doesn't actually have any fundamental knowledge or problem solving yeah, on its own. Right. Uh, but, but, but I think a certain percentage of the executives that you're dealing with in this real world will probably be in a similar position. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. Anywhere that like MBAs, <laughs> like, let's, let's shut off some MBAs, right? <laughs> yeah, let's go. <laughs> My second favorite thing to do is shut on MBAs, <laughs> consultants. Um, I think these guys are in trouble. I think a lot of like the value, yeah. I, that's I mean, true. Jokes aside, yeah. jokes aside, yeah. Anything that's iterative and solved in the past, you're in trouble. You're in big, big trouble. Like I would be very, very worried about my job security well, for the next yeah. 15 years. It makes that next and, layer. And, Sorry, go ahead. And if, if you think about making investment decisions, it's in a way probabilistic as well. Incorrect. I see, uh, yeah, this I is where think I think you're, there. it depends on yeah. what you're investing in. If we're talking about mm -hmm. VC investing, incorrect. The best returns have always come no, right. from things that have had no precedent, right? Even stocks would be very hard, I think. Still, still. Yeah, I exactly. Think, I think investing. Far from doing what a human can do. Still very far from it. I think. It's, 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 it's very, very difficult, I think, to, yeah. like, for, for at least VC investing. Like, stock investing, that I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't. I, I'm not a public markets person anyway, so well, like, I'm not going to topple things I don't know about. But, 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 but like, but, but I think making a judgment of something which has not happened before, that that I would see that as something that uh, that, that the intelligent system, uh, a portal model, is able to learn. Well, yeah, that would be the goal. That would be the goal. That's the goal, but that's not what it does. Yeah, and we're very right now far to do that. that. I mean, yeah. that's, that's not that's nowhere yeah. on the horizon. To be clear, right? Yeah. ChatGPT doesn't do any of that. It's purely 
giving you what it thinks is the right answer based on what has been told in the right answer from what's happened in the past. It doesn't create new knowledge. It doesn't actually have, it can't go and but, but address the, the, the problem on a first principles basis. It doesn't like know that like, because but, two plus the, two equals four, therefore that's, that's what it is. It just knows that two plus two equals four because people tell it that that's what it's supposed to do. But that's my point, right? If you go to any pro uh, profession, you would have uh, a certain outliers, uh, certain out, out, out performers. But 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 the majority of people uh, practicing that uh, that that profession are probably not extraordinary. And uh, whatever that that they come, um, I mean, the, the the I mean, if you look at asset management industry, whatever. So 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 whatever decisions they make are probably based on some probabilistic things, based on what they have learned in the past. I mean, only only the few exceptional people who get exceptional returns. Uh, are um, not in this category. Right, but I think, you know, public equities, asset management, but what, what is your point? Are you saying that these people will, uh, I'm trying to, like, I agree with you. I, I agree with what you're saying, but I'm just trying to understand, like, mm -hmm. what is the actual point you're trying to make? Because are, are you saying that these people are going to be out of a job soon yeah. or, or what? Yeah. yeah, or you're saying specifically for investment uh, no. or you're saying in general? No, no, uh, my point is that this is something that uh, that, that, that that I think we should we should watch fairly closely because we don't know how this will evolve. Um, we don't know. I mean, uh, how good it will become, and uh, we don't know what exactly it will replace. Um, but um, but I mean, my my best point is that we should not just say that okay, oh, this will not replace this. This will, this will not will not replace that, or this will replace Sorry. that. We don't know. But I don't think it's going to replace any. Well, okay, so this is interesting, right? Because I've been using ChatGPT a fair amount, actually, in my day, mm -hmm. in various jobs that I have or professions or things that I do. And I use it as a tool, right? I use it in the same way that I would use Excel. But it, so it's, it's for me, it's a productivity tool. So, like, I, I was telling Alex mm -hmm. before this, right? So I have to write like mm -hmm. annual reports uh, or like investment, whatever, right? And so then what I will do sometimes if I can't be bothered or if I just have like a day where I can't think or I can't get started is I'll go to ChatGPT. I'll give it a prop, like give me like a paragraph on like this particular yep, yep, topic, yep. blah, 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 blah. And it'll pop out like, uh, I don't know, 500 words of something or other. And that I can use that as an outline for how I'm going to like, you know, so, so, structure my, 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 whatever I'm creating. Right. But I would yeah. never take that and just give that to my, you know, the people that I would give it to be like, here, this is, you know, of course, I'm done. Of course. I mean, so, so, so then, you th if you think about that, I mean, uh, Dave Chan family office or whatever, right? I mean, in the past, we would employ like ten people. I mean, Correct. six of them are analysts, and now yeah. you need two people. Exactly, it's, it's a productivity tool that makes the yeah. the, the key decision. Like, like, there's a few layer, like a layer of people who will become more productive, and then you can just do things better, and you don't need that whole layer below you, right? So, I, I think that will stand to be true. Like the whole executive layer there will be a different paradigm in how you build companies because of that probably, or at least from a function like standpoint who you would hire, right? And so. And if you look at the consultants, if you look at the companies, I mean, how many people are there who are actually not making any decisions, who are not actually doing any um, sort of physical work, who are just gathering data, passing along the information throughout the organization to help people make decisions or, or to help uh, decisions being passed on to the to, to, to the actual execution of I don't know I mean uh, whatever uh, sweeping the floor whatever so 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 that yeah. whole layer is probably at risk. Yeah, I, I know yeah, you don't I like to. I know you don't like to um, you know say what will and will not be displaced, but it does seem very logically that consultants could be worried, like because that's a big part of their model is that like there's such a fat margin that these guys get paid so much just to do that, right? And 
essentially if if a data model can do it more effectively, I don't think it can do it fully now, uh, but you know, for for certain write-ups it can, for certain you know aspects it can, but like it does seem that's where it would logically trend. The but, question but is right, that no. uh, I mean the the question is that you pre you present a report to the board saying that it was was entirely compiled by by ChatGPT, and at which point the board will say, okay, we take the recommendations and we're going to vote on it. Almost like a Turing test, you know, would they know it's from you or they, will they know it's from ChatGPT3? So, in a way, that makes top consulting firms uh, margins even better, right? I mean, they can put this uh, uh, st uh, stamp of endorsement uh, theory, and, uh, and, uh, and hire much fewer analysts. Well, and, until, until companies find out that they could do it themselves with less resources themselves in-house, right? I don't, right. I, don't know. That, that's I mean, also, if we're talking about... about right? Also, if we're talking about consultants and if we're being cynical, I think also the reason consultants get hired a lot of the times is not to actually deliver. Like, no one cares about. They're just okay, reinforcing it's, something it's that's already that they already know. No, well, it's it's they're reinforcing something that the executive probably already knows, and they're just looking for some sort of um, you know backup to implement whatever it is that they already know that they're doing. I mean, that's that's a cynical view of consultants. So if we use that as a uh, as a rationale, then consultants will never get replaced because you always need some sort of external validating factor, and that's the that's what yeah. they're for. Well, I'm I'm extremely biased in this space. I I, I like the idea, the technology. I, I'm very excited by it. So I, if anything, I do think that's where young people probably should head is in these kind of frontier spaces where you know this does it it does probably destroy some value, but it creates more wealth and more value too. And creates a whole different world. So I mean, I don't. I, I, that's that's how I feel. I don't know if you guys are excited about this as I am, or or Andrew is. I'm uh, super excited about it, but I'm also kind of to a certain extent inoculated from the negative downsides of this. Like I think I'm at a point where I'm like late enough in my career where it's not going to take my job, right? But if I was okay. like an entry level lawyer or something that was doing like about a bunch of document review or if I was going to law school right now or if I was like an entry-level like financial analyst paralegal. where what I was doing yeah, paralegal like these types of jobs then I would mm -hmm. actually be I would not be so bullish on this but sort of I'm at a point where like most of what I do on a daily basis is really thinking yeah. it's thinking it's interacting with people and that doesn't you know it's still a long way off from that yeah so I mean I think we covered actually a lot of the topics indirectly. Um, I don't know. Do you guys want to talk about Temu, which I can probably relate back to what we talked about, or would you want to talk about uh, personal stuff, like you know, personal stuff from last year to into next year, or what, what do you guys want to close out on Temu or personal? Uh, stuff? Up to you guys. I don't. I don't care. Up to you. Personal stuff. Personal stuff. It's a new year, and something to look okay, forward to. Sure. I don't know. All right. Whatever you guys are looking uh, forward to for the new year. Andrew's not here, but his goal was to do fifty percent cool things and fifty percent intellectual stimulation stuff. Um, it, you know, by him not showing up, seems that he's doing more of the cool things. I guess not cool not to do a podcast, yes. but uh, he, he was very yeah. fascinated by the future of work and remote organizations, which he seems to be kind of doing. I guess. Uh, my question to him was, you know. Did you live out how you envision things? But he's not here, so let's let's move to to Dave. Uh, Dave, how much crab did I eat? <laughs> yes. Did you eat more crab in twenty twenty two than twenty twenty one? Yes or no? Yeah, that, but that's like by default. Yes, but that's unfair. You're, you're an exponentially con crab consuming person. 
Yes, yes. No, no, because with 2021, I wasn't in Malaysia for a lot of it. So by default, I ate a lot more crap. Um, yeah. I would um, say I probably consume on average two kilos of crustacean a month <laughs> over the last 12 months. That's a lot of crap. <laughs> which, which is kind of pedestrian. I, I'm disappointed yeah. in myself. I feel like I could have done better. <laughs> Uh, but on a personal level, you said you wanted to unwind some of your private positions early in the year, and you wanted to spend more yeah. time investing in biotech and life sciences. So any, any updates there? And then what can we look forward to 2023? I have categorically failed on that. I've, I've, <laughs> I've, 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 <laughs> I've categorically failed on both. I'm with you, brother. I have a lot of categorical failures, well, too. <laughs> yeah, there, there's no, I mean, I tried, I tried to like, you know, stabilize one of the positions, get some better management in there, trying to be more involved, but it's kind of just, it's, we, we've moved, let's move, on. let's move on. I failed. I failed on both those accounts, so move on. So uh, I guess what, planning to cut losses and look forward to new projects is the focus for 2023? No, I think 2023 is different. I think 2023 is really about focus. Yeah, so you have a lot of clarity right, in uh, that? Yeah, I have a lot of clarity. I'm going to cut away all the, I'm trying to focus my time on specific functions and, and projects that I know will end up being lucrative and yeah. just kind of ignore the rest as much as I can. Yeah. Cause I mean, that was your, one of your insights earlier was to try and do what you can for those portfolio companies. It seems like by the end of the year, you realize that's probably more effective to focus on a winner that you know, it will be sure winner. Right? I mean, that's sort of also kind of like a more heuristics question. Cause I knew that I actually kind of knew at the end of the, when I went into that process, that it's probably a waste of time. But just okay. from like a loss aversion and like ego perspective, I feel like I felt like I had to at least go through that process yeah. and nothing came out of it. I can tell myself primarily yeah. that I tried. Um, but and now that I've done that, then we've, we, you know, it's, the box is checked. We can move on. Yeah. So then uh, the last question, because you said you, you, know, you want to plant some table stakes and invest time and money. So what did you invest time and money this year that helps you set up for next year? And what can we expect? So I've got roughly, um, roughly. So not to be too specific. Roughly, yeah. Unless, unless you want to, unless you want to share in detail. No, I don't actually want to share in detail. No, I got some. I got some things that might that will cash flow next year. I think so. Just let's leave it at that. That will that will give me some cash flow. So be happy with that. But when it does happen, you got to tell us then. Deal. Yeah, yeah. Of course, of course. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right, John Gan. Uh, 2022, you wanted to get more organized and systematized with your consulting insights, analytics, and revenue streams. You know, you kind of set up revenue streams in 2021, and your goal was to be more organized and kind of scale those. So, were you able to focus and get more organized in 2022? I think definitely better than uh, beginning of the year. So, we also tripled the size of our team. So, uh, so, 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 I get. I guess that's uh, that's good in a way. And in terms of uh, property scaling, I still see lots of things that we need to work on. So, so of of, of course, I think um, I think I think one thing I, I've been reflecting like uh, this week is that uh, I should, should should probably spend more time, especially with the younger members of the team. So, so a lot of the a lot of the, a lot of the times, if I could um, sort of uh, spend more time with them, especially at the beginning of any initiative, any project, will probably make things uh, much more efficient. So that's something I'm trying to do next year. And uh, and the second thing is that uh, I just want to tr to, to travel more um, because especially lots of things have evolved in different markets. So I was in Thailand. Um, 
uh, I was in Phuket and uh, uh, last month and look at, I mean, how has the, the city evolved? I mean, with, without Chinese tourists, right? Things have mm. become, um, things have evolved. Um, so you, you, you can only have a strong sense once you're in the market. Of course, we're, we're kind of well connected. We get information from, from different markets, but lots of things that you really have to sense yourself. I mean, what's happening in China, right? I mean, I've not been, I've not been there for, uh, for three years. And a colleague of mine just flew in like yesterday. She's under quarantine now. Uh, hopefully that this thing will be scrapped oh. next month, mm. as predicted. And uh, when, he, when she arrived, uh, she bought um, she bought um, a winter jacket on May twine. We delivered in thirty minutes. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I, she didn't know she could do that. She she thought that May twine instant delivery was was just for like food. Um, groceries yeah. and flour and stuff, but uh, now look at the categories and stuff there. It's uh, it's pretty comprehensive. So, so I think lots of things would have re- evolved, and uh, and you can only only feel it once once you're in, well you you are in the market, and that allows you to better benchmark whatever you are seeing in your in your home market. And so, I guess the last two questions: Can can you confidently and clearly define what momentum works is yet? <laughs> Uh, we are working on the, a, a, a company <laughs> date, which, uh, which, 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 which timeline is uh, mid-January, so yeah. Okay, so by, by, by mid-January, we're going to have a very clear, concise one statement, what is Momentum Works? All right, we'll, we'll, we'll circle back to that. And then uh, what, what okay. is your big goal for 2023 then? Like, what do you plan to set out to, to achieve, do milestones, anything? I think that's a question for Dave, right? No, I answered, answered already. It's a question for you. No, I think the, the um, personally, I travel more, as I said, and professionally, uh, just empower the, the young people in the company more because I think, uh, I think we have a much, much better, better foundation, uh, a really good team, and just. Well, well you, support, you tripled your size. So, I mean, I guess it sounds like that's going to allow you to have an unlock for your time, which has, I think you're very time constrained this year, especially towards the second half of the year, like uh, getting in touch with you was harder. And I mean, in, in a good way, but I think it's because there was a lot on your plate. And I think what I'm understanding is that you, if you can empower your team, it allows you to free up more time to do other things, maybe more thinking, more strategy, more other endeavors to start to, to kind of figure out those things, I guess. So that sounds good. Right? Yep. 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 Cool. Are you going to send the jingles? Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess let me let me talk about my my stuff. I guess uh, I yeah. I had talked very quite gung holy about in the beginning of the year about you know uh, doing more professional investing off the ground, but I also categorically failed. Uh, I also have some regrets of not you know carrying a torch more, keeping you guys involved because I think you know we were a different geographies and then I didn't keep up with the content. So I think that's my goal is to be way more consistent with the content for next year and more focus on, on just the, the, the media piece of being consistent there. And I think the rest flows from that. I, I realize like the more content we put out, the more people that want to reach out to me. So I, I think just to, just to keep that as, as the main, main goals, uh, to, you know, work on the first quarter of infrastructure content planning, then executing on the plan in the second quarter, and then, you know, getting, getting all the things I want up and running. That's that's kind of what I'm looking at. LLP summit meet... next year. Yeah, maybe. Did, did we all did, did we meet at all? To all four of us in 2022. Yes, we did. There was a one time before Early, right? we left. 
was That's early. Right. Yeah, I think it was like in yeah. Q2 or something. Yeah, and then you you bonded yeah. with him in the mountains of Bulgaria. How was that? Uh, it was good. It was, uh, yeah, no, that's probably the most time I've spent with him ever. Wow, that's good. He doesn't like to lose at board games. <laughs> it's it's, it's all, real all competitive, competitive board games. games. Yeah, I don't uh, like to lose at board games either, so I can't say anything. Yeah. You don't like to lose period, Dave. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> this is true. I don't like to lose period. This is very true. Fair. That's fair. Okay, right. so, I, I mean, is there anything else? What's that? going to be a great year. going to be a great yeah, year. Yeah, I mean... I think yeah. there's much more clarity, at least for me. Jangan sounds like it. It sounds like actually, yeah. If anything, I think you know this year was a a year of somewhat wandering and reflection and preparing to maybe narrowing optionality so that the next year is more focused and productive. And it seems like all of us are on that track. And I think we've learned less. We're not talking too much about it, not being too prescriptive, just more executing on it more more clearly, and then we'll show the results later. Um, Anything to, to say before we leave then for the end of the year, holidays and break? Nope. More crap. That'll be a great year. All yeah. right, guys. Well, thank you All for right. spending time and uh, we'll yeah. be in touch for the new year. Happy New Year. Catch you in 23. Catch you in 23. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. All right. Bye, guys. Bye. Happy holidays. Bye. Bye.